We're glad to be sharing the ministry of Tabernacle of Praise with you. Now join us as we receive the Word of God. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Titus. Titus. Page 1842. Titus chapter 2. Give everybody a chance to get there. Just a little quick history on Titus. Titus was actually a Greek raised in like most Greeks in that day in heathenism. And uh, through the writings of Paul, and Paul's you know, speaking about Titus, it's apparent that Titus came into Christianity through Paul's ministry. Uh, Paul speaks real affectionately of Titus. As a matter of fact, in chapter 1, uh, verse 4, Paul calls Titus my own son after the common faith. Paul also refers, if you look in 2 Corinthians, to Titus as his brother. And it appears that they had a very good relationship that they were you know really working in in the gospel together Uh, you know Paul regards Titus in high esteem Paul believes that Titus is the man who can do things in the toughest of challenges there must have been something about the guy that Paul saw that you know this guy will he'll get in there and he'll get with it or it could be that God said you know what Paul this is the only guy that's going to be able to do this so you need to send him there and leave him there because that's what happened to Titus Titus uh it sent. Uh, let me just kind of. Paul gets word to Titus that the letter of the First Corinthians was well received, and so after that, Paul sends Titus back to Corinth with the second letter, which we know as Second Corinthians. And then later, Paul leaves Titus on the island of Crete, and there he's going to have to deal with these people on Crete. We'll talk about that a little bit. This is what he said: that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I command you. So he gave Titus some, some specifics about what he needed to do. You are trying to read it there. Don't, it's not where you're reading, so don't, in chapter 2. I'm just giving you a little history about what, what, what happened here. And so the thing about it was apparently it was that not only was Titus faithful, but he was committed. That whatever Paul asked him to do, he didn't have a problem doing it. Uh, he had to fight many of the same things in the society in Crete, the island of Crete, there were many cities there, uh, but he had to fight a lot of the same things that we fight in our society today. Some of the same stuff that we're fighting in America, he had to fight. Uh, society uh, in that time in the Crete and in the Cretan area was pretty pretty paganistic, the best way to put it, just, just basic paganism, the belief in everything but the true God. And so what, what we find is that their main goal, like you know, this is going to sound familiar, the main goal of the Cretans was to gain massive wealth. That was their main goal. They had other things going on, but the, the, the reason they did that was that the, the main goal of getting all the wealth was to support all of their sin and lust. The, 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 more, the richer they become, the more they could do whatever it felt good to do. So it sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? You know, times don't change very much. People don't change very much. We deal with the same things over and over. Uh, a society in, in, in Crete, the society is where, where persons, you know, persons' word meant very little. The Cretan, you know, they, they, you know, basically they were liars. It's the best way to put it is they were liars. Their word wasn't very good. Their word, you know, no one could trust them. Uh, 
What really mattered to them is what they had, the stuff. That's what mattered to them. They had, a, they had low morals, uh, and they opposed everything. We're going to read it here in a second. They opposed everything Titus brought to them. They were in opposition. There's a reading. Flip back to chapter 1. Let's just re- really quick. Chapter 1, verse 10 through 14. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision. Stop for a second. Who is that? Mm. He said, especially my brethren, Paul says, especially one of us. Now, remember, he's talking to a Greek whose mouths must be stopped, who pervert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not, for filthy lucre's sake, one of themselves, even uh, a prophet of their own, said, the Christians are always liars. Every Now, let me stop here. One of their own said this, the Christians are always liars, evil boasts, slow bellies. Their witness is true. This witness is true. Wherefore, we break them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to the Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. So not only were the Christians known to be liars, they were infiltrated with the, Jew, with the Jewish custom and the Jewish thought processes. If you remember, we've talked before, one of the problems the Jews had with Jesus' parables was that he would tell many parables where the, the rich was the evil and the poor was the godly. And that was, that was flip of what the Jews believed. The Jews believed in the day of Jesus that if you were rich and had many goods, God was loving you and blessing you. If you were sick and poorly and had nothing, you were cursed of God. Say again. Man, does it ever. Look what they're preaching. That, that's what this prosperity gospel is about. That if you're really right with God, He's going to prosper you and you're going to have all this stuff. And if you're not, if you're, if you're poor, there's something wrong with your relationship with God. Things don't change much, do they? Things don't change much. They opposed sound doctrine for personal profit. I mean, the things that we're going to talk about tonight are very, very much alive in today's Christian world. Because it's what we're going to talk about, the Christian world right now. They oppose sound doctrine because of personal profit from the teaching of false doctrine and twisted truths which are beneficial to them. And so what is going on in our society today in Christendom is their false doctrine and twisting the truth all to pad the pocket. All to pad the pocket. One of the purposes of appointing elders and one of the reasons Paul spoke to him and said, you need to get in and appoint elders, number one, no one guy can do it all. Understand that. No one got, no one pastor can do it all. No one apostle can do it all. And he certainly knew that Titus was not going to be able to do all of this by himself. So he had appointed elders. And the purpose was so that there would be a visual standard. In other words, these elders, they held the, to, the, to the teachings of Paul. And because of that, they were going to visually stand out in Crete. Because the Christians did the opposite of what Paul taught, of what Titus was going to teach. And so if they lived it, they were going to really stand out. It's kind of like you, the church, if you went to Las Vegas. If you're in the church and you go to Las Vegas and you blend in, you might want to check your church status. If you blend in. Now, there's no, you can go to Las Vegas. I'm not saying that. But if you blend in, you better church, check your church status because we're not the same. We're not the same. And I know this goes against our, the grain and the rub of our society, but it's just the way it is. One, one, and, and again, so let's begin reading at chapter 2. 
verse 2. That the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, and in patience. I'm going to come back to verse 1, by the way. Verse 1 is it's just a short verse, but there's, there's a key to verse 1 that makes all of this what it really is. Verse 3, the aged women likewise, I like that, the aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober. Man, they must have had a drinking problem in Crete or in the church or something's going on there. To, to, the women, I'm talking about, to love their husbands and love their children. They must have had an issue there. To be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands. That the word, this is now, this, this is not, you're not going to see a lot of this in today's church talk. We're going to talk about it. Obedient to their husbands, that the word of God may, uh, listen, here's the reason that you do all of this, that the word of God be not blasphemed. There's a reason he says for us to do, men and women, to do these things, because if we don't, then the word of God is blasphemed. What is blaspheme? It means to say that which is godly and, and make it unholy or make it say it's, it is of the devil. And so, well, I don't go around, I don't live it, but I don't go around saying that. If you don't live it, you're saying it. Your actions speak louder than your words. If you know to live godly and you don't live godly, you're blaspheming God's word. Well, that gets pretty straightforward, doesn't it? Young men likewise. See, I, listen up. Listen up. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. Janet told me to quit picking on y'all, by the way. She got all over me Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> in all things showing thyself a, a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing an uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech, that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to, to say to you. Exhort servants to be obedient unto their masters, and please them well in all things, not answering again, not prolonging, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness, worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. There is a there, Bishop, you and I, we've had a discussion with some. There's, there's one of those verses. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. So we'll come back to verse 1 in a second. But first, th- th- there's, this is a direction for church folk. This is how we should be operating. And, and so men should be temperate. That's sober and vi- vigilant. Worthy of respect, meaning of good character. I'm just kind of go back through it. Self-controlled. You know, if you don't know what, we're say- what these words are, let's lift your hand. We'll kind of discuss them. Self-controlled and of sound or wholesome in these three specific virtues. Faith towards God. Now, this is in verse 2. Faith towards God, love towards people, and enduring to the end. That's really what verse 2 is saying there when you read it and we translate it into English. So, okay, so women should be reverent. The literal translation here, don't get, should, should be reverent. The literal translation means to act like a priestess. See, it's not what we thought it was. Act like a priestess. Not slanderous or diabolical. That the diabolical, the root word diabolus means like Satan or one who accuses or tells lies. Older women should not be addicted to wine. Yeah. My wife's not here tonight. Joke. In the first century culture, much like today, that culture it just promoted heavy drinking. 
in one form or another. We call it partying, partying. But most people that are heavy drinkers today are not in a party. They're trying to escape. That's why they're heavy drinkers. They're trying to escape. And so uh, that their lifestyle should produce good, solid teaching and that they should love their husbands and their children, be self-controlled and modest, keepers of the home. Notice that keep, well, that's, that's where now in today's society a lot of preachers go like this. They hide right here in the keepers of the home, and they just don't want to talk about it because there's a reason that women are keepers of the home and men are not. There's a reason behind that. Keepers of the home, obedient and not evil speaking. When we look at obedience, think about everything that you do, you do towards the Lord. So when you're obedient to God, what does that mean? Okay. There's got to be something tacked on the end of that, though. Say it again. What does it mean to be obedient to God? Immediately, completely, without challenge and without complaint. But there's something that's that got to be tacked onto that. There's got to be added to that. Incomplete love. In complete love. We do what we do for God, not because we have to. We do it out of complete love. We get to do it. We get to do it. And that's what this word is referencing to here. When it says, it says for the women to be obedient to their husbands, that doesn't mean the husband pulls out the whip. It means there is a complete love. And obedience is something you do to God because you get to do it. You want to do it. Self-control, that keeps coming up. Self-control. One of the hardest things for us to do is control ourselves. You drive at 530 on the freeway. It's hard for us to control ourselves sometimes. Sometimes the things get to us that shouldn't get to us. Uh, Modest. Now, we come from a background where modesty was taken to an extreme. Modest, being modest is correct. All men and all women should be modest at all times. Modest. What does the word modest means? mean? And it's real simple, really. There was something about Jesus. Jesus was modest, but he didn't perform modesty. There was just something about his nature. There was nothing that was attractive to others about him. It wasn't that he was ugly. It wasn't that he was a, you know, a, a bad-looking guy. There was something about Jesus that just attracted people. It was his modesty, humility. That's what modesty is. Modesty is not, I'm going you know, to have sleeves to here and to here, and I'm not going to wear this, I'm not going to do that. That's not modesty. Modesty is humility. Humility. It's when you don't aim to show yourself to others. You can be totally dressed to the nines, and be immodest. Be immodest. All of us in our old culture crossed paths with those people. They did. They dressed and you know. And it's not that we don't love them, but understand something. They thought that was modesty, but they had no humility, so they missed the whole point. Humility will cause you to dress right, act right, talk right. That's what it does. That's what modesty, humility does. Yeah. Very proud that they were humble. Well said, Jesse. <laughs> Young men and women are to be self-controlled. 
They're to follow the example of the elders. Man, we're missing the mark. We're missing the mark in America. Why are we missing the mark? Is, is it the young people's fault? You've got to have an example to follow an example. If you don't give an example, don't expect that business of, you know, do what I say, not, not as I do, that thing's still flying all over the place. If we don't give example, then we can't expect our younger men and women, and that's in all facets. Listen, I, I, can't, I can't even, if I don't pray, how can I expect my wife to pray? I'm the leader of my home. If, if I don't read the Word, if I don't study, how would I expect her? If I'm not setting an example, how would I expect that? If, if, I'm, if, I'm taking, if I'm at work and somebody comes off really sour and I don't take the right road, I'm not giving a good example. I'm giving an example, but it's not a good one because we're, we should be setting examples that our younger people can follow. Every generation says the same thing about the next generation, right? Not realizing that it's their fault. So follow the examples of the elders, the ones. Now, young people, follow, follow the example of those that are following God. That, that's the, you know, not just because they're your elder, they need to be following God. There's a lot of elders that aren't following God, and you don't need to follow that, that form and that principle. They should have integrity. What is integrity? It's just purity. It's genuineness. Uh, have seriousness that brings about respect. One of the things about being young is there's a lot of frivolity, right? It's kind of normal. You know, you like to have fun. But, the, you know, there's a time for fun, and then there's a time for seriousness. And you really shouldn't mix the two because it sends mixed messages. But so, so learn that there's a time that we have fun, and there's, God's not against fun. There's a time to be serious. He's not against serious. He's for fun. He's for serious. But just understand that's part of what we need to do. And to have soundness in your speech. What does that mean, soundness in my speech that I well, if that's the case, I'm in trouble. It doesn't mean you pronounce every word correctly. Soundness in speech means that you know what you are talking about and you're ready to answer. In other words, you ever met that person? Hey, you know, what is 2 plus 2? I'm pretty sure it's 8, but, you know, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm a mathematician. I'm pretty sure it's 8. You know, yeah, that they, you know, you know. It's, it, know what you're talking about and be ready to give a, if you don't know, just say you don't know. If you know a little, say, I know a little bit about it. If you know a whole lot about it, you know, you can let them know. There's been times people ask me questions, I know a little bit about something, I'll give you what I know. That, you know, if you want more, well, we'll have to go find out. We'll study it. But that's the soundness of, Paul exhorts servants to be obedient to their masters. Well, here's a, this is a big one. Because we really don't have this per se in our uh, society, do we? Or do we? Because when you look up the understanding between masters and servants, you're going to find out it's different than what, because in those days, m most servitude, most of it uh, was built around the fact that uh, I owe John something and I just can't pay him. And so I'm going to go into a servitude to him and I'm going to pay it off. And when I get through with that servitude and what would happen a lot of times, and you find this in the Old Testament, uh, is that over a period of time, what happens is that servant learned that that master could give them a better setting in their life than they could do for themselves. And so they just went up to the post, put their ear up there and said, drive that all and drive a hole right through my ear. I want everybody to know I'm staying with you the rest of my life. You can do better for me than I can ever do for myself. And it's the same relationship we should have with God. But that's the kind of servitude he's talking about here. You know, and it goes into the workforce. This is the part we don't like. This is the part we got to hear. It goes into the workforce. Now, 
the, the term for slave here is the word doulos, and it means a slave figuratively, figuratively and literally. It can be either or, or voluntarily or involuntary. He was even saying, listen, if you're not voluntarily being a slave, that you're captive, you still need to be respectful and follow what I'm about to tell you. This is hard. Doulos in whatever term is applicable. Now, this could be a parent to a child. This could be a parent to a child. It could be an employee to an employer. It could be a, all of these things. Uh, it, we're all subject to our masters. That, we don't like that word master because it has a bad connotation, but understand what master is. One that has rule over you. If you're working in a place and you have a boss, they have rule over you. Your boss has rule over you. That's why he's the boss. Maybe one day you'll have rule over people and become the boss. But understand that. When, when you have a boss, one of the worst things you can do is backtalk a boss. One of the worst things you can do is talk about a boss. One of the worst things you can do is put down a boss, the, uh, rebel against the boss. Those are all because the Scripture says what you're doing is directly opposite of what God called us to do. It doesn't show those outside the church what the church really is when we do those things. And, and that's where he's going here. And, and this, this, the connotation of this servant deal is actually a Greek connotation, and that they should subject themselves to their master, not just because they have to be subjected, but it's because they want to be pleasing. You know, it's a servant that wants to please. You ever, you ever went to help somebody, and you really loved helping them? You, you know, it's servitude, right? That, that's the same slave word here. When you go to help somebody, you, you know, you see a person, an older couple, they can't mow the grass. So you go over and mow the grass for them. You're performing servitude. Oh, I'm doing a favor. No, you're not. You're performing servitude. That's what the word really means. And you enjoy doing it. That's why you went and did it. And that's how we're supposed to work. It, <clears throat> that's why the Scripture tells us that if we will do everything as unto the Lord, man, you'll come out gold. If, if you'll do every, no matter what kind of job you have, I've had jobs I hated. But you know what? You love it because God gave it to you, and you do the best you can. If, you know, I know some people that live, they do better at their job than they do at God. I mean, <laughs> they give their job way more yes than they do God. But the intent is to give like you would give to God, work like you would work to God. So it's being, not being, you know, he uses a word here. The word actually is you don't talk back. You don't talk, you're not supposed to, verse 9, not answering again. You, don't, you understand what that phrase means? Exhort servants to be obedient to their own masters, to please them well in all things. Not answering again. That In our term today, don't talk back. Now, that's hard sometimes, isn't it? It's hard not to talk back to your parents, isn't it? You understand when you talk back to your parents? I'm not talking about just the young people here. Your parents are your parents until they're gone, and you're their children. Too. It's just that's the way it is. Now your your dynamics change, but being parent and child doesn't. You you are to treat them with as much as respect as you ever would, love them as much as you ever would. You know, <clears throat> when I was little, I didn't talk back to my dad because I was scared to death because he had a leather belt. But when I got older, I didn't talk back to my dad because. I respected him. I wasn't, I wasn't scared of his belt when I was 30 years old, 40. But you know what? I respected him and loved him. He disciplined me to help me understand what respect meant. I wasn't old enough when I was a child to understand it. But as I got older, and so that, that's why we don't talk back to our parents. You know, 
I've heard some, I've had some friends that I've heard them cuss their parents. I, I don't understand that. And, and, and that's not, so anyway, let me move on. I don't know why I'm, instead of telling people what they were, show, show people what you, what they are or what you are. Instead of, you know, nobody really cares for you to tell them. They want to see it. You know, these kind of things we're talking about here, here's the best way to look at it. Think of a young woman that's just got an engagement ring, and it's a rock. What does she do? She wants to show it off. That's what Paul's writing to Titus about. He's saying, listen, understand this about Christians. We're supposed to be showing Jesus off. And as a matter of fact, Jesus is showing us off. When we obey when we work under his order, when we follow his will, he's showing us off to the world because he wants the world to look at us and say, man, I want that. That's a problem in the church. We're not letting, we're not being shown off. So, so let's go back to verse 1. Look back at verse 1. But speak thou the things, but, starts, but, starts off with the word but, but speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. There's a reason, number one, is that, we understand that the original manuscripts were not in verse and chapter, but but understand that the connotation of chapter two is reverts right back to what we know as chapter one. But that word "but" ties chapter two to chapter one, ties it directly, calling into light the words aforementioned. There's the conflict that we read in verses ten through eleven, how that those were battling against Titus and those things. There's a reason that this is written because. These things are written here as an explanation on how to overcome that stuff. How to overcome that stuff. Paul urges Titus to speak sound doctrine. Sound doctrine. The word that you know, the word here in, in, in the Greek means it actually means sound health. The, the actual translation is sound health. So he's telling Titus, listen, when you get there, you teach him good sound doctrine or sound health, because false doctrine brings spiritual sickness. Good, good sound doctrine, truth, brings them health. You ever thought about being healthy spiritually? Healthy? We, we, you know, we're into, uh, eat the right things, do the right, we're all good for that. You ever thought about being healthy spiritually? You ever been spiritually sick? I have. And so that, that's what he's telling Titus here. Be a mentor to people. Speak healthy things to them. You know, somebody was telling me the other day, they, they said, you know, I, I really didn't understand what you'd said before until I started reading it about what we speak and what comes out of our mouth and the power that's there. There's power in the tongue. So well, you can go back to the Old Testament. It tells us that. There's life and death in what you speak. We don't think it is, but it's life and death in what we speak. And so it's important that we be that example to speak healthy to people. Speak healthy. You know, you've been around that. Dad tells his son, man, you're the sorriest. I was around kids growing up, and I heard them. Their dad tell them, sorriest thing that ever came in the world. Yeah. How do you think? Pardon? Yeah. Man, when you, when you speak into those, speaking healthy is important. Be a good example. Uh, being that good example, the things that he said here, there's a reason he said do these things. Because uh, it's an evidence that God, and of God and what he's like. It's a... <clears throat> Outside, the outside world doesn't understand what God's like. How are they ever going to know? They're going to look at God's people. And so whatever they see in you is what they think God's like. Less than 50% of America today now has any connection to any religion. 
not just Christianity. Hinduism, Buddhism is not really religion. It's a way of life, I guess. Catholicism, uh, any, less than 50% of America is attached to anything religious. And you know what the number one reason why is? Because all religious people are hypocrites. That's what they say. So what, where do they get that idea from? Correct. Yeah, yeah, have we all said that? I don't care what they think. You really should. You should care what they think about Jesus because that's who we're the ambassadors for. We're not here in this world for ourselves. We're not here to make a name for ourselves. We're not here for, you know, wouldn't it be great somebody stand up at my funeral and everybody says, boy, that was a great guy and he did this and that. Wouldn't that be great? I'm not going to know a thing about it. Not going to hear a word of it. But wouldn't it be great if somebody stands up at my funeral and says, you know what? Man, he lived for Jesus. You know what? I am going to hear that. Not at that point in time, but I will get to hear it. Well done. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. So, yeah, how we live for Jesus is very important, the example that we give. Uh, let's look at verses 7 and 8. I'm about wrapped up here. And all things showing thyself a good pattern, self a pattern of good works, and doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, and sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say to you. You know, that's the beauty about sound speech. If you speak soundly, if you speak the right, there, there's no way to be condemned. They may talk bad about you for speaking soundly, but when you speak the truth, you know, they, they can condemn you for speaking truth, but you won't be condemned. That's, that's the thing I've noticed in crowds. When you're speaking the truth in a crowd, there's going to be somebody that wants to get all over you, right? It's just It's natural. But you know what? The general people, if you will listen and watch, if you're speaking the truth, their ears, because they like the sound of truth. They like the sound of truth. They may not like what is being said at that point, but they like the sound of truth. There's something that rings true to them. Uh, Paul uses the word pattern here, the word pattern, tupas in, in the uh, Greek. It means a stamp or a scar or what we call it as a casting die. You know what a casting die is? Where they, if you're going to cast, if you were going to cast a, 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 an outlay of this Bible, there's a, there's a die, there's a form that's made up, and it's, it's cast, and so you pour the hot liquid into it, and then it settles, and it's okay. That's what pattern here means. We, you know, we're, we're, we are to you know, show ourselves a pattern of good works, a die, a, a stamp, a scar. We should have the scars of good works on us. You know, you, you can look on, I've got scars all over me from different things, from different situations in life. And they all, each scar, when I look at it, each scar, when I look at it, I know exactly what it is. I know exactly what happened. I know why that was, hole was there. I know why that cut was there. I know exactly what happened because they're a pattern of something that's happened. And that's what we should be, a pattern of what's happened in our life. Uh, a Christian pattern really reveals truth from non-truth. It, uh, it's what's really supposed to happen to attract this world to God, to God's people. <clears throat> Again, pe people, I know that I talk to you about, you need to go out and witness. You need to go run. I know the pastor, pastor's always going to do that. But understand this. People are looking a lot more than they're listening. Looking a lot more than they're listening. And if they're looking and they're lacking, they'll listen. If they're looking and they're not liking, 
They're not going to listen. It's that simple. And so it's just our lives are much more about who Jesus is and how we live it than our talk. Much more. And that, and that's the gravity of that. So uh, verses 11 through 14 reminds us, I won't reread them again for the sake of time because i got one minute. It reminds us, to, you know, we, we've just got to be able to keep the things that Paul talked about. Uh, Paul was very adamant, you know, to, to Titus, listen, I'm not telling you these things for fun. I'm telling you these things because the Cretans need it. The Cretans need it. The word appear, when you read in the Scripture, again, I won't read it, but the word appear is in there. And that word appear means to appear suddenly with some kind of divine intervention, supernatural intervention. And so your appearance to people, people should know there's some kind of divine intervention in your life. Now, don't make a little halo out of foil and stick it on your head and look like an angel. People think you're, well, they think you're an idiot, but they may think you're an alien in today's society. But it's, you know, they should know just by our speech, and it's not just our speech. You know, here's the thing about godliness, and we'll end with this. Godliness is something you see, it's something you touch, and it's something you hear. It's something you see, something you touch, and something you hear. All those facets are part of us living like we should for God. Verse 15, these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. That's the instruction. And that's what's given to the church today. We live in the same society that Titus lived in, under the same circumstances that Titus lived in, in the same, just name it. And so these are good instructions for us on not just how we should live, not just how we should be. And and if you'll notice, it talks about men and women, and it talks about women, uh, it talks about husband, wife, and children, because the basis is this, the basis of it is this. When the family's right, when the family's right, Society's right. And, man, we got a messed up society. So it's up to us. We're, we're to be that shining light. We're to be the, and you know what? Don't be afraid. You ever rebuked anybody other than your children? Have you, have you ever had to rebuke someone? Yeah, it's not fun. But you know why? You know why God rebukes you, right? He loves you. He loves you. That's why and so that's, that's why we should, any time that we find somebody that needs that in their life and that God calls us to do that, you know, we're not born-again rebukers. There are situations that God brings us into, and it's very understandable, to learn that it's out of love. You know, you can either tell a person, hey, you're going to split hell wide open if you don't quit doing that. Or you can say, listen, I had a problem like that too. But, man, I don't have to deal with that anymore. There's, there's two ways to approach it. One's going to work and one's not, right? So you know, there's a lot in Titus. There's a whole lot to the book. But just I wanted to just bring tonight, you know, we, we kind of need to go back to not some of the old ways but some of the old thinking because the thinking was good. The ways came out backwards. The thinking was good, but the ways came out backwards, just the misunderstood Scripture. And so we just need to look at Scripture and say, okay, we understand what God calls us to do. We can be, we can, listen, this is not hard. What I'm talking about tonight, this is not hard. It's not hard to do. It's, it's really not hard. We just have to do it. We just have to do it. And uh, not everything's easy in Christianity. Most things aren't. Most things aren't. But understand, these type of things are what make the hard things easier when we're right. So anybody have any
this uh, nine and then leading on to ten. I've never looked this word up until tonight. Purloining, not purloining. He's talking to servants to be obedient to their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again. Not purloining, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. Purloining. Purloining. Did you look it up? To appropriate <clears throat> wrongfully and often by a breach of trust. So would, would you know if your trust has been breached? Um, sometimes we would. Sometimes we wouldn't, I think, maybe. So he's talking to the servants there, um, do things with all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God. One of the worst things you can do is make a promise and not keep it. Yep. Just don't make it. Just don't make it. Take something that doesn't belong to you yeah. by, by maybe lying about it. Yeah. things I noticed the short time I worked at Home Depot is most employees stole because yeah. they didn't feel like they were being paid. Yeah. They made an agreement that they'd work for that dollar amount per hour. Mm -hmm. but and so they worked the hours that they're called to work. But they'd, they'd walk off with stuff. Mm -hmm. We saw it constantly. Yeah. Purloining. Yeah. You ever felt like, well, I can give them six instead of eight and it's okay. In God's book, that's theft. Somebody's paying you to work eight hours, and you don't work eight hours, that's theft. Have you ever felt like, you know what, I'm making $6 an hour, I'll be making 10 So I'll just take a little of that home for him. That makes up the difference. These think there's all, it's purloining. It's like you're justifying the sin to rectify what you think is correct or right in your, for yourself. It's just simply that's theft. TBC group come to our church back in the 90s, I think it was, might have been before that, but anyway, this young man, he was a welder, and he had people that worked for him, and whenever he would have them fill out an application to work for him, he asked them, do you smoke? And if they said yes, he said, you can't work for me, because I, I need people to use both hands. <laughs> Pencils? Oh. We, we, don't, we don't think of those. You know, but they're, they're, listen, purloin, in purloining, there's an intent. There's an intent. You intend to make right what you think is wrong when you've already agreed that what you did is correct. So that's the difference. You're right. Go ahead. You may be right, but that doesn't justify your action. Correct. Well, we're justifiers, aren't we? I mean, we're justifiers. Humans, we love to justify. Thank you. God bless you. Look forward to this weekend. Don't forget, uh, we're having dinner on the ground afterwards. We'll actually be on the tables, not on the ground, but we call it dinner on the ground for obvious reasons. So we'll have that. Do invite your friends. I've called several people this week that said they were going to come that haven't been here in quite a long time. And gopher, yeah. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm getting rid of the golfers at my house, so the moles. <laughs> Golfer on a stick. Yeah, yeah, everybody bring their lawn chair. Would you help me? Yes. Yeah, we're not going to eat in here. We're going to eat outside. Yeah, it's not supposed to rain, but part. I was just going to ask her. I hate to do it in front of everybody because that's not right. I was going to ask her on the side. Just send out a message to everybody. Hey, just remember we're having dinner. Bring your lawn chair, whatever, you know, that type of thing. Yeah. Bring a lawn chair, something to sit in. Thank you all. God bless you. Look forward to seeing you this weekend. Easter. Yeah. Easter, the word Easter. You know what the word Easter means? Not you, Bishop. You know what the word Easter means? Say it again. Passover. Yeah, exactly. For more information about Tabernacle of Praise, look us up online at tabernaclepraise.org. We want to hear from you, so be sure to connect with our Facebook page. We also have a free app that you can use to keep up with events or be notified of bad weather, and you can listen to our sermons directly from the app. Thank you for listening, and have a blessed day.